Welcome to another episode of Live from the Blue Seats. I'm your host, Rob, joined this week by Dave, and it is our first show of the new year. Happy 2023, everybody. Happy New Year to you, Dave. Uh, how was your holiday, and uh, how is your 2023 so far, a couple of days into the uh, to the new year here? So my holiday was amazing. I was in Aruba. It's my happy place. It's where I got married, and uh, that's where I was the week between Christmas and New Year's. My 2023 is, uh, you know, work, 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 work. <laughs> uh, it's funny. Everybody takes those last two weeks of 2022 off because nobody wants to do anything for Christmas and New Year's. And then everyone's like, oh, shit, we forgot we didn't do any of this. So now we got to do it. And now we yeah. are, now we're behind on it. <laughs> it is always a little bit of a of, of a cold bucket of water on your head when you go back to work after a long break. I had a similar thing. Um, my company closes between Christmas and New Year. So, you know, it's encouraged, frankly, for everybody to kind of take that time, not check in. And it was it was dead. So, you know, it's funny the night before uh, I went back, um, I'm relatively new. I've only been there for about four months. And I was like, am I going to remember like how to do this job? And, you know, it's just like one of those things <laughs> because I'm not, you know, that experienced at it. So, uh, no, definitely agree with that. And, and, uh, but, but nice to have a relaxing break. Glad you had a good time in Aruba. And, you know, while we were enjoying some, some time off, and of course the NHL does take its three day Christmas break, uh, the Rangers have continued to roll. They are 10, two and one in their last 13 games. Most recently they defeated the Carolina hurricanes at Madison square garden in a really strong uh effort all around i thought you know and I, we'll talk about it a little bit in detail but they beat them five to three and they are back in the thick back where we i think we thought they would be at the beginning of the year which is in the thick of the metro division playoff race and and look this division is you know somewhat predictably uh, although maybe people didn't see the devils coming but it's somewhat predictably a buzzsaw you've got the usual suspects in carolina washington and pittsburgh and of course the rangers but throw in the Islanders, throw in the Devils. And Dave, let's just take a, a little bit of a 30,000-foot of a view to start. It looks like, first of all, that there are probably going to be five teams out of the Metro in the playoffs this year. And there are six teams fighting for the, those five spots. Do you feel the same way or do you feel that the, that is going to thin out a little bit as the season progresses? Oh. <laughs> and it really depends. Well, depends. No, I'm laughing because it's a funny question to me. Um. I did not expect Florida to be as bad, and that's why I'm laughing because my prediction at the beginning of the season obviously is not going to hold true. Um, I did not think the Islanders would make the playoffs. I still don't think the Islanders are going to make the playoffs, but it is going to be five teams. You're right, thousand percent. Yeah, it certainly looks that way. And and you know I, the other I guess wild cards truly are Detroit and Buffalo. You know how much do you believe in Tage Thompson? And, you know, Rasmus Dahlin, who has fulfilled finally his number one overall pick pedigree uh, and what's going on in Buffalo, which is very exciting. They're playing really good hockey, fun hockey. They give up a lot of goals, but they sure as hell score a lot. And, you know, do you believe in Holy Detroit, crap. a team that kind of hangs around and is on the periphery and is dangerous on some nights? But, you know, I, certainly not a team that I consider uh, not one that I would be afraid of in a big spot in, say, March or April. But, hey, look, I, I could be wrong. Buffalo has 143 goals this season. That's the most in the Eastern Conference, more than Boston. Wow. And they've played one less game than Boston. That's insane. Yep. They are a machine, offensively at least. Holy shit. That's what I was – I'm not sure if it caught on the mic, but I was whispering holy shit when <laughs> I saw that. I don't think Detroit is going to be in it. Detroit will fall out. Buffalo's offense might just carry them. They have actually no, they're not. Who the hell am I kidding? They are nine points back of Tampa, so that's out. But if you look at, they'd have to beat out the Islanders more or less. The Islanders have forty-six points in thirty-nine games. Buffalo has forty points in thirty-six games. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, and it's, the and Rangers. I think Buffalo's a factor. Yeah, Buffalo's a factor. The Rangers have. 
They're only two points ahead of the Islanders. No games in hand. They're even with Washington with a game in hand. Man, that the Rangers suck at MSG this year. No wonder. That is something that's that, a problem. You know, it is a problem. And they have been better lately. But, you know, hockey's interesting, right? I, I think a lot of the typical sports talk talking points that you hear about football, you hear about the NBA, you hear about baseball, don't often come over to hockey. And, you know, I think that's a little bit of the gatekeeping that happens around hockey. I think fans are like, oh, our sport is special and it's different. And frankly, that's, you know, and, and often I think people go too into the weeds and don't just talk in simple terms enough. And yes, to your point, Dave, the Rangers have sucked at home. And that is something that needs to change if they are going to keep pace with the teams ahead of them in the division, Caroline and the Devils. And if they're going to hold off Washington, if they're going to hold off Pittsburgh, who has struggled lately, but you know is going to be there at the end of the year, you've got to win on home ice. And, and you know, they had far too many games where they not only uh, lost, but they lost in regulation. And those are extra points that that come back to, you know, they rear their ugly head uh, or, or those lost points uh, aren't there for you at the end of the year. And so, you know, look, there's still more than half a season to play. The Rangers have played 39 games as of this recording. Game number 40 is Thursday night in Montreal. Game number 41 is the true midpoint of the season Saturday afternoon against New Jersey. They do need to be better at home. They've been a really good road team. They've been a really good road team for years. And, you know, at MSG can be a weird place. You know, the Rangers have had some very good home seasons, but I, I can't remember the last time they were purely dominant on home ice. I, I don't think it's really happened. I mean, maybe the year they won the President's Trophy, I'd have to go back and look, 2015. But other than that, it's you're, deal, you're getting a lot of teams' best shot when they come to MSG. Opponents love playing there. It's always a great atmosphere, and I think that that often energizes the opponent, and sometimes the Rangers are a little, uh, you know, uh, flat-footed and flat on yeah. home ice. So they're nine seven and four at home, which is interesting because the Devils, um, one point ahead with two games in hand, are actually worse at home. They're ten nine and two. Wow. And I'm actually recalling the original season predictions we did. The Rangers. Let's assume they win their next two games. I'm optimistic. I'm an optimist. I like thinking they're going to get to game forty one. With 52 points. That's a mm-hmm. 104-point pace. I said they'd win the division with 110 points. Mm-hmm. Not that far off. And no, I don't think the Rangers are as bad as a lot of people are making them out to be. Well, and, I've certainly, I, I would agree with that. I mean, who's making them out to be bad? I mean, the usual suspects on Twitter, unfortunately. Um They've made a lot of puzzling decisions you know, regarding lineups, and we'll get into that with the Lafreniere thing. But this is a team that, like we were saying, they just needed to find their footing and kind of get the vibes back. The comeback win against Carolina was huge because Carolina is a great team. They're mm-hmm. well-coached, skill up and down. They're a good team. And coming back, beating them, they have beaten – they've ended a few streaks. They ended Toronto's streak. They they got a point in Tampa. Rangers are a good team that, mm-hmm. unfortunately, the coaching and their November really overshadowed a lot of their good play. And honestly, I'm okay with that because let people sleep on them. They still have a shot at winning the division. I, I, a good I agree. shot, but they have a shot. Yeah, and and you know, look, even if they, I, they're not. You're right. They're not far off of a of a hundred and ten or so point pace. And you know, look, I, I think as we've seen in the NHL too. Look, would it be great? It would be great to win the division. It's great to have home ice in as many series as possible. But you know, let's be honest. The NHL is truly about getting in, being healthy. That's a huge part of it, and getting great goaltending. Because the, the games themselves, you know, and, and I know that teams that have, you know, the better expected goals shares and, and Corsi shares, if you, you know, even before we were really looking at expected goals, there was a pretty strong correlation about, you know, those types of teams generally fared well in the playoffs. And, you know, you'll look at the cup winners. They were usually top five in terms of those metrics. But a lot of these series are about 
who's down. Usually the team that's down gets desperate and dominates the next game, you know, and it's about, can you hold them off? I mean, Tampa has won how many games throughout their cup runs where they've given up 40, 50 shots. And Vasilevsky has just been there and he's made every save and he's made, you know, and they've defended well. He hasn't necessarily had to make, you know, 30 difficult saves, but they are under siege the whole game because the opponent is that desperate. I mean, that's the nature of playoff hockey, right? So it really is. And the Rangers are equipped to play that game, I think, to to your point. So get in, be healthy, make your run. I, and I think the, and, and I think the other thing is, to, you know, what, what you said about November and about the way the coaches kind of or the coach coaching staff and organization at large kind of you know, bungled their kind of uneven start. And I, th- I think contributed to making it worse than it needed to be. Um, you know, that November is going to make their lives very difficult in March and April. And we were saying that on this podcast, mm-hmm. it wasn't necessarily doom and gloom until that kind of last, you know, stretch of games right before they came back to beat the blues. We weren't necessarily saying I'd blow the whole thing up and fire everybody. We got pretty close with Gerard Gallant there about a month ago, but you know, it's more that, hey, look, this just makes your life difficult now trying to make the playoffs in a, in a really difficult division with six teams vying for four to five spots. Plus, and I'm not that's not even counting Buffalo or Detroit. Right. So or Florida making a resurgence. So there mm. are there are an awful lot of teams that are um, in the thick of it here. And, uh, you know, uh, it, we know how hard it is to gain ground as well in the NHL uh, because of the three point game. So. It'll be a fascinating second half of the year. You know, we're really looking forward to it. And, you know, I want to, you know, I want to segue now to the Carolina game specifically because that was, I think a lot of people kind of felt this way. I certainly did. That was one of the best games of the year, just from a pure entertainment and intensity standpoint. It felt like a playoff game. The atmosphere at the garden was, was tremendous. I was not there, but it came through on TV. Um, and I heard from some folks that were in the building that it was playoff like in terms of atmosphere. You know, what what was your initial uh, thought coming out of that game, Dave? How did you feel about about the Rangers overall performance? So. What I'm about to say is probably going to irk some people. I thought the Rangers were incredibly sloppy. The feel of the game is one thing. And yes, it did have that intense kind of feel playoff atmosphere feel. And. This is one of those games where you look at the shot attempts, you look at the expected goals and the Rangers finished with a 58% expected goal share one at even strength, uh, 1.68 to 1.22. That's very misleading. When you look at the goals, the Rangers gave up, they were not defending. Well, uh, they were watching the puck. They were turning the puck over too much. This is especially in the first two, the first two periods, I'll say. Mm-hmm. They just were very, very sloppy, and their power play was really keeping them in it. And the, the third period was phenomenal. They played great in that third period. But if they do that against a Carolina team in the playoffs, that is much better than what they showed, they're going to get destroyed in the playoffs you can't make those lazy defensive plays where you can't clear the zone and we always made fun of the Dan Girardi flip off the glass thing and I was just one of those things we made fun of forever they weren't even getting that right they were trying to flip off the glass and they couldn't even clear the zone that led to two that led directly to two goals against and then you have um I think it was Heedle in no man's land uh, Keandre Miller chasing a guy to the boards and Lafreniere slow to get back, which left Truba, who got all the blame for the third goal, to defend basically a three-on-one down low. Nobody stood a chance on that. You can't yeah. do that against Carolina. And Carolina's going to get their chances. I'm not saying that you have to be per- you're going to be perfect. You just have to play fundamentally defensive hockey, and the Rangers didn't do that for two periods. I'm the only person, I think, that felt that game was not as good as the Rangers should have been. Yeah, I'd say you're in the minority. I mean, I don't. So here's I wouldn't say that I disagree with you. I think you're spot on with what you saw from the Rangers in the defensive zone, especially. I mean, look, one of the most frustrating things about the game was that they scored a tie and then they give up a goal, whatever it was, 16 seconds later. Then the same thing happens again. They score a goal and they give up a a goal to or sorry, they, they tie the game right and then they give the goal right back 
I think it was 29 seconds later, literally the next shift both times. And what I saw on those shifts, Dave, in addition to some soft plays and ability to clear or just kind of like, you know, uh, stubbornly trying to jam the puck up the boards when there was no uh, route out of the zone that way. You know, I saw a team that was solely focused on defending, right, rather than, hey, let's just keep playing. Let's get out of our zone clean with possession. Let's move through the neutral zone quickly. You know, look, when the Rangers are playing well, yes, they they do dump and chase, but it's effective because they get there first, right? The dump-ins are well-timed. They have a forward with speed coming into the zone or, or two, and they they usually retrieve the puck or they retrieve it at a high enough rate that it's a valuable strategy. So, And it's only certain lines that do that. Right. I know everybody loves carry-ins and pass-ins, but you're not going to have, you know, Brzezinski, Blay, and Goodrow, you know, pass and carry the puck in. They're going to dump and chase. No, and, so, and, and even, fine. you know. Right. Well, and even, you know, I'd say even uh, the, the the top line will dump it quite a bit because because of Kreider's speed. Right. So, you know, Zibanejad will 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 dump it. Kako, has, you know, he usually makes the right. I mean, he's great at carrying it through the zone. But I think, you know, they, they also pick their spots. I think the Panarin line generally is going to try and carry it in, especially the way uh, Kravtsov is now fitting in with that line. It's been pretty, uh, you know, a pretty good fit so far. But no, back to your back to that point, I think in general they have. You know, they, they were just a little bit too scared of Carolina's pushback, right? They almost respected them too much. And that led to some tentative and disorganized play in the defensive zone. Um, and yeah, look, I mean, I think obviously they they won the metrics battle for for whatever that's worth. I know some people put more stock in that than others. Um, and it's, a, it's important, but it's less important on a single game. Right. Uh, evaluation. Well, and again, then they did that by having a great third period. I mean, I think Carolina only had six or seven shot attempts the entire period. So the Rangers really did hem them in. And, you know, they got the benefit of a couple penalty calls. Sure. But they but they scored, uh, you know, they scored at even strength uh, a couple of times. And, um, you know, and Keandre Miller I woke up and played. He, you know, I know he was on the ice for three, all three goals against as was true. But but. You know, even Gallant after the game wasn't too hard on him. He said, look, you know, it's, it's five guys out there, not just the two. And, um, you know, uh, Keandre had a solid all around game, I think was his quote. And, and I mean, he was electric in the third period. He was just one of the, he was probably the best player on the ice. And listen, when we call out little things and breakdowns, it's not an indictment of a player unless it's consistent. It's an indictment of how the Rangers played that shift. And Miller was in no man's land. It, It is what it is. It happens. Everybody does it. But I am of, the belief that I'm going to channel my inner Luker here. The defense pairs need to be shaken up. Hmm. Put Lindgren to the... Yep. Keandre Miller is the Rangers' second-best defenseman. He is their best left-handed defenseman. He, if Adam Fox didn't exist, he would be their best defenseman. Put him on the top pair. It's time. So you don't subscribe to the idea that you know, you want one of Miller or Fox on the ice at pretty much at all times. Now, you know, obviously you're going to play your third pair, but, um, you know, this makes me think of Tampa Bay and and John Cooper. Right. And I think, you know, if you look at the way he managed playoff games, he always had one of Hedman or McDonough on the ice in a big spot. And you'd look at the time on ice and sure enough, Hedman's played 29 minutes. McDonough's played 26 minutes. There you go. Right. There's 55 of the 60 minutes pretty much covered. Uh, so, so I think, you know, some of the argument, and I know that, um, you know, what Luger would tell me, and I'm sure he, when he, when he listens to this, he will chuckle is, well, if it doesn't work, then you can always go back to the original pairs. And yes, granted, that's totally correct. But I do understand the argument for having at least one of Fox or Keandre Miller on the ice at all times, especially if Miller's game continues trending in the right direction. Yeah, I get that. I do. I, I get it. And you know, it's funny. You may have just convinced me to leave it the same because I hate Cooper, but I respect the ever-living hell out of the way he coaches. Him and Bednar are far and away the two best coaches in the NHL, mostly because they actually coach and don't just Mm -hmm. fall back on the same three systems. But there's something about putting Lindgren and Truba together. Remember, I'm saying Miller's one of the best is the best left end defenseman. 
That's not saying Lindgren's bad or anything. Lindgren's still a top pair defenseman. He's excellent. He's just not on the Miller level. So you have three top pair defensemen. So I don't necessarily see a problem with Lindgren and Truba when Truba has the history of being much better with defensive-oriented partners. Mm -hmm. And I think Luker posted something today with the limited time on ice that Lindgren and Truba have had together. They put up ridiculous numbers. Look, maybe I want to give worth, it a try. Yeah, no, and and I'm I'm totally open to that. I I do think though, as we've seen, you know, and you mentioned the vibes being back, right? The Rangers are playing really strong hockey. They are, you know, and and it, you know, I would not say a lot. Of it, the easy thing to do, and and as you said, Dave, the Twitter folks are out in full force telling you that, well, don't believe the record. The Rangers actually aren't that good. I would actually argue that during this run here, they've won in a variety of different ways. Yes, they've had the Igor steal. That happened in Colorado, the game, and they won in the shootout. But they've also had games where they've dominated possession. They've had games where they, uh, you know, relied on special teams. They've had games where, you know, that were kind of back and forth, like the Carolina game. So I think they've shown that they can play in, you know, in any style of game and succeed. And that, I think, just is down to confidence. And, you know, I do think that, um, while Gerard Gallant is prone to the, you know, stuff that makes you want to bang your head against the wall, as most NHL coaches are. And, you know, I certainly am not uh, have not been thrilled with him this season. You know, look, I think he deserves some credit for writing the ship, you know, getting this team back on on track and now, yeah. you know, moving to some line combinations that make sense. Right. Uh, with the top line now back together for three games, you know, Kreider, uh, Zabanajad, and Kako, showing faith enough in Vitaly Kravtsov to leave him with Panarin and Trocek, and mainly, you know, mo- for the most part, keeping Barkley Goodrow on the on the on the fourth line. Now he he benched Filipino or limited his ice time. Uh, Tuesday night against Carolina. He gave us a great reason for that. Gave I us agree. great reason. Yeah, I, I'll I'll give Golan credit for this. He's done much better recently i still have some issues with what he's done but he gave a good reason for the heedle benching well yeah well what was that reason oh uh <laughs> i sorry <laughs> i just caught myself off guard sorry oh no no it's okay uh, it well big, i i, I, th- I thought Heedle you were saying sick. that there was i mean I, I i would agree that that he didn't have a very good game uh even though he had a goal and an assist which is kind of one of those funny things about the sport um, technically two goals how so Oh, right. He put one in his own net. Yeah. Yeah. He put one in his own net, but he was yeah. sick. And that was the reason that Gallant gave was it wasn't about his play. It wasn't about the fact that he scored on Shesterkin. It was he was sick. He was slow. So we gave him the most of the rest of the day off and nothing to do oh. with his play. That okay, was a actually, nice moment of transparency. You didn't see that? No, I didn't know he was really. Ill. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. All right. So, That's yeah, awesome. that was the reason Galant gave. And I know everybody was kind of losing their minds when it happened because Galant has not exactly endeared himself for good reason to a lot of us with how he's handled some of the kids. Crafts off early on uh, once he finally was able to stay healthy more than eight minutes at a time on the fourth line. Um, healthy scratch for a while. Good draw in the top six. That was maddening to watch. Um, then Gallant basically coaching for his job for a while, putting Kudrow back up in the top six. Um, I think that overlapped a little bit with Kravtsov getting healthy. Um, mm-hmm. It did. And then he also gave us another quote that we kind of latched on at, in our little group chat on Twitter about what his perfect lines are, and they're not there yet. And I think... That kind of gave us a little bit of hope, even though Gallant was clearly coaching for his job still. Mm-hmm. And I think he's there with the forward lines. I, I think he needs to shake up the pairs a bit, but the forward lines are there. I really I really think that. I think this is what he meant, too, by the perfect line. I think this is what he wants. I think this is his ideal going into this season. If you asked him, hey, write, write it down right now. Where would you put everybody? I think this is kind of what he had in mind. And yep. I think it works. Uh you know, especially the top line. I mean, you know, Capo Caco and, you know, let's spend a moment on him and then we'll transition to uh, Lafreniere briefly because, you know, we did we did cover that on Twitter spaces this week. And, um, you know, there's obviously been much written about that. And it's a little bit old news at this point. But um, Capo Caco has, I think, finally found 
his game at this level and he is looking like a number two overall pick. And I think that that is significant because, and, 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 you know, so like, uh, number two overall is significant, right? That means he's supposed to be a guy that you can reliably depend on to, if not score a ton of points, at least dominate play for long stretches at a time. We'll see if the scoring comes, but certainly the individual domination in the offensive zone and the good attention to to detail defensively is all there. He is a very, very good three zone player now, and he has he's starting to show the ability to pile up points. I think he has now 10 points in his last 11 or 12 games. I'm not sure the exact number, but he did get an assist in the Carolina game and he's starting to play at, you know, more of a 50 to 60, maybe 70 point pace. Uh, especially when he gets ice time with his advantage out in Kreider. So, um, yeah, anything you want to say about Kako, Dave, in addition to that? Pavel who? <laughs> uh, I'm, uh, help me out here, Pavel who? Bore? Oh, God. Imagine if he had healthy knees. Oh, man, one of my favorites. There was somebody on Twitter or something that said, if you could pick any NHL player healthy and show them to somebody learning the game, who would it be? And I said, healthy Pavel Burry. Yeah. Just the way he played the game. Oh, man, that was amazing. Um, he, but yeah, he seri- was incredible. Oh, God. <laughs> Se- oh, my. But seriously, on Kako, um, the only thing I'm going to say is not every top pick is McDavid. Even Jack Hughes needed a. Uh, this is his third season, right? Jack mm-hmm. Hughes. He needed uh, three. Fourth, seasons. fourth, same season, fourth. same draft as Kako. Oh yeah, fourth season, and yeah, his numbers are going to be a little bit sexier because he plays actually gets power play time. Yeah, fourth season. Look at what he's doing. Fourth season. Look what Kako's doing. They're yep. different players, but not everybody is McDavid. You got to give him time, and that. Also works with Lafreniere. Look at how long it took Keandre Miller, but he's just a freak of an athlete, so he can do anything. But these guys need time. Yeah, they do. And and also, you know, th- there's also the matter of not only do you need time, but you need to really, again, and I, I was talking about this on the on the Twitter space, and and I believe it's still up on the uh, on the the podcast, you know, on the Twitter feed. If you want to go back and listen to it because we did record it and, uh, and archive it. But <clears throat> I think there's just this, uh, and, and it happens, you know, so I think some guys come into the league and know exactly what they need to do. Other guys, I think it just, you know, you don't know what your role is. You don't know what you're good at and what you need to maximize as a player in order to <clears throat> make an impact at the, at the NHL level. And Kako has slowly figured that out. And I think what I said about Lafreniere and what was kind of alarming to me um, is that he doesn't seem to know what that is yet. You know, is he a distributor? Is he a play, you know, or a playmaker? Is he a down low puck possession fiend like Kako, you know, big on the boards and winning battles and holding on to pucks? Is he a sniper and if, or if, and a finisher? You know, is he, is he, uh, you know, a, a, a great two-way player who, you know, maybe has a little bit more of defensive acumen? There's so many, there's so many different sort of like sub roles, right? He's not just a left wing. He could be all different types of left wings. Um, I don't know what Alexi Lafreniere is. And so, Dave, I want to ask you before you get into that, what did you think of the healthy scratch when it happened? And then maybe talk about what you think Lafreniere uh, could be or should be at the NHL level if and when he fulfills his potential. So I do want to thank Gallant for announcing the healthy scratch while my daughter was napping in Aruba. Because I can't just leave her in the room and go back out, you know, to the pool, to the beach. So I'm stuck in the room. So I actually had time to digest it and, you know, write about it and actually understand what was going on. We've covered Lafreniere's issues away from the puck. And Suit put up some good highlights with what he did, specifically against Philly that led to a goal where he kind of he just took a terrible angle and made a lazy stick play. It's things like that that get you benched at the NHL level, and he hasn't figured it out yet. It's also been multiple years, which is a problem. Um, personally, I was in Aruba, so I really didn't give a shit. But <laughs> Fair enough. 
you know, he needs to work on certain things. Hopefully that lit a fire under his ass. I don't buy any of the trade rumors or anything like that, that the Rangers have given up on Alexi Lafreniere, the number one overall pick. Bullshit. He needs to learn how to play away from the puck, and he needs to adjust to that NHL speed when he's in the neutral zone, when he's in the defensive zone. And it's a learning process. There's a huge learning curve there. He, There are only two ways this plays out. He either gets there and he's fine, or he's Neil Yakupov. Mm-hmm. And I don't think there's a middle ground there. Yeah. I mean, I think that those are the, the away from the puck issues are, are, are real. And, and as you said, those are the things that tend to get, especially young players benched. Um, it's, it's all about positioning and effort when you don't have the puck. And um, I think in year three, the expectation is that Lafreniere is supposed to know better than that. Um, and, and, and then making the same mistake over and over again. Um, but, but specifically Dave, you know, and again, um, I think the frustration that, that fans feel is more, um, <clears throat> well, it's twofold, right? It's obviously lack of opportunity. And, and we've talked about that with Gallant, not trusting him enough to play him in the top six consistently, not giving him enough power play time, definitely both real, uh, real issues and, and, and warranted, uh, concerns, but also, <clears throat> you know, on the player's side of the equation, he doesn't really do that much with the puck. And I think a lot of the numbers also bear it out, not just the counting stats, Dave, but, you know, he's a little bit of a passenger, right? He's not a play driver. Whenever he's playing, you know, on a line, it's in general, it's the, if he's, if he's with two good players, if he's in the top six and he's playing with either Kreider and Zibanejad or, or say, you know, Panarin and, uh, and Trocek, it's those two guys who are doing the play driving, right. And kind of the creation. And he's just kind of there if he picks up a couple of goals and assists, great, but he's not the one that's really responsible for doing that. So, you know, is that, do you have that concern? And do you, do you think that that's the case as well? Um, Cause you know, I think offensively there are question marks here about a guy who scored more than anybody pretty much other than Sidney Crosby in his junior days. He's not a play driver. I mean, you, all we have to do is look at, his numbers or if we wanted the visual look at his RAPM chart on evolving hockey he's not but not every player needs to be a driver I mean he's not Patrick Laine in terms of horrible play driving metrics but he's not going to be again I'm going to go to Conrad David because he's the easiest one to go to he's not going to be him either I mean let me pull up Kako's third season Last which was year, last yeah. year, right? So 21-22 Kako. Kako had the same offensive play-driving numbers as Laff in their third seasons. The difference with Kako was he was still a great defensive player. Mm-hmm. This year, Kako's taken his defensive play to ridiculous levels, and he's starting to drive offense. So, again, third season right. to fourth season. The only difference is Kako always knew how to play in all three zones, whereas Lafreniere is not a three-zone guy. He just needs to know how to survive in the in the defensive zone and get better at reading plays and intercepting passing lanes in the neutral mm-hmm. zone. Learning how to play within that four-check as F3. Gallant runs a one—I got to double-check on this—95% century runs a one-two-two. If he's F3— He's the guy reading that final play, jumping in around, you know, between the top of the circle and the blue line. Mm -hmm. If the puck is already out of the zone, he's the guy roughly between the blue line and the red line that, again, can read the play and cut off that lane and start a transition play. He's not making the reads. He's taking shit angles. And he's uh, honestly, he's being lazy with the stick. You, yeah, you know, it's really interesting about that. And this only comes to mind, Dave, but but it's it's really wild that you brought it up. If you go back and I did this and I tend to do this because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a sicko, but uh, <clears throat> I was w- actually watching a couple of days ago, not that long ago, the highlights from the Carolina playoff series last last spring. And one of the first goals of the series, which is scored by Philip Hedl, 
is started by Alexi Lafreniere intercepting a pass in the neutral zone. And I think it's actually Carolina is going backwards. I think they're regrouping, but he picks the pass off and he's in that spot. Like you said, he's on the left wing. He's kind of between the, the blue line and the red line. He intercepts the pass and goes in with Heedle on a two on one and sets up Heedle for the goal. And so, so I think my point is, and, and, and if you watch a lot of those highlights, again, that line was electric for, you know, most of, uh, most of the second and third round series, you know, parts of the, uh, of the Pittsburgh series as well. They were doing all the right things collectively. He was doing all the right things individually, not just offensively where he was productive, but, but, you know, as you said, defensively in the neutral zone, all that stuff. So I think you're right. And I think it's just attention to detail and, and frankly, effort. I, I mean, you know, look, I'm, I'm not, um, I hate being like a body language interpreter with pro athletes. I just, I've always hated those types of discussions because you just don't know some, some guys. I mean, Eli Manning had the worst body language in the world. He always looked like he had no clue what was going on at any time. And the guy won two Super Bowls, right? So I, I don't like getting into the body language debate, but <clears throat> I think coaches do have to read that stuff and they need to know the people. And if they're seeing low effort or, you know, medium effort plays from off air, then that's another thing that's going to land you in the doghouse. So, um, again, it is a little concerning that in year three, he needs that fire lit under his ass because he, he needed it last year as well. You know, his rookie year was a little bit weird with COVID and all that, but and it being a shortened season. But um, hopefully this is the last time it happens because, you know, the the uh, the Rangers need him. Uh, he's still a huge part of the equation here and them uh, not only becoming a true contender, but staying a true contender for more than a couple of seasons hinges upon him and Capo Caco, if not fully hitting their potential coming damn close to it. So, um, you know, any final thoughts there on laugh Dave, before we move on? No, I'm concerned. I think his issues are much bigger than Kako's. I know that Connell will disagree with me on that, but Kako has at least shown willingness and intelligence to improve upon the things that he needed to improve on. The stuff with Laugh is two, three years old at this point. He really needs a bit of a reality check. I'm not sure if it's an attitude thing, which is something I've heard, that he's got a bit of a uh, an arrogance to him. There's a mm-hmm. difference between vibes and arrogance. And he's just – which goes back to the Nail Yakupov comparison. You know, it's going to be one or the other. I'm – if it's more Yakupov than actually figuring it out, then the Rangers are screwed. Yeah. Well, we'll see how it unfolds. I mean, this is a huge three months for him too. Mm-hmm. You know, he's in a contract year and uh, he, you know, it's, it's, it's incumbent upon him to earn, to earn whatever his next contract is going to be. So, uh, and the Rangers, as I said, need him. It's, it's hugely important for, for the future of the franchise, for him to, uh, to, to be a, a valuable big time player at some point, you know, in the not too distant future. Um, it's mutually assured side, destruction with them. If neither side gets it right, both sides get hurt. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, I was going to say the, now the, on the other end of the roster, the Rangers made an interesting and I think widely applauded decision to resign Jimmy Vesey for a couple of years. Except uh, for one guy with sour grapes, of course. <laughs> well, there's always one. Uh, yeah. but, but I, I think, you know, uh, in case you missed the news, uh, we're actually, you know, not behind on this one, on this podcast for once, Jimmy Vesey <laughs> was, was, uh, extended by the Rangers on Wednesday afternoon to the tune of a two year, uh, $1.6 million contract. So $800,000 per season for a guy who brings tremendous defensive value and, you know, just enough offense to, uh, you know, t- to contribute, you know, maybe 10 to 12 goals a season. I think he's got six this year, so he's on about a 12 goal pace. Um, just an absolutely brilliant value signing by the Rangers going all the way back to the PTO before the season started. And now they lock him up for a couple of years at what is essentially, you know, the league minimum. Um, Dave, thoughts on the VZ uh, extension? About time the Rangers figured out how to make a fourth line. Mm-hmm. Because for years, we have been going on about the Rangers basically doing what the Islanders do, spending 8 to $10 million on fourth-line players that are not good. Now they get league minimum for a guy who 
quite frankly, with his numbers, should be at least doubling his salary. He should be at least $1.5 million a year. Eight League minimum for VZ is not only a great value for the next two years, it diverts much-needed cap space to guys like Miller and Lafreniere that, and Heedle that need it. The Rangers won't spend that money on other fourth-line guys. And if Heedle's ga- oh, game goes to hell, they can put him on waivers and just send him to the AHL. I did hear a rumor that he got a full no-move clause, though, so I want to actually fact-check myself on that. Oh, yeah. Well, let's see if that's uh, if that's the case. But, you know, even still eight hundred thousand. I mean, that's even even if you have to have sit him as your 13th forward for, you know, I don't know, whatever, a bunch of games, you can stomach that because it's such a low cap hit. And, yeah. you know, he I think what a story. And, and you know, we, we've sung his praises earlier in the year and he's had some really fantastic games for the Rangers this year, um, individual individually. Uh, you know, scoring big goals against Toronto, scoring a goal against Detroit. I know in that eight, two game back in November. Um, but you know, he, he brings, uh, it's really a great story about a player who remade himself, you know, over the course of the last two or three seasons, you know, he came out of college with a pedigree of a, of a scorer, right? He was a Hobie Baker award winner and everybody expected him to be a, at least a 20 to 25 goal guy, if not more in the NHL. And that never really materialized. And you want to talk about a guy who was kind of invisible in all three zones. You know, we were just talking about play driving versus, you know, uh, versus not versus, you know, well, are you contributing defensively? Um, Vizi was doing none of that in his first few seasons. If you remember his first go around with the Rangers, he was what I would call an empty calorie scorer, right? Yep. Brutal. He He was a lot like what we thought Ryan Strom was for the first two years before Ryan Strom actually turned into Ryan Strom. Just mm-hmm. kind of riding coattails of better players in a good position to just – got to give him credit where credit's due. He knew where to go on the ice. He did put up three straight seasons of at least 16 goals. Yep. Give him credit. And he yep. put up 17, 18, and 35 in his last season with the Rangers – but he was not a three. He was not the player that the Rangers have right now. Amazing in all three zones. Drives play, suppresses shots against great, great fundamentals, and still mm-hmm. can put the puck in the net. He's not gonna. I don't think he's going to get to the you know seventeen to twenty goal seasons that he had with the Rangers. But eight hundred K for all three zone play, and what? He's on pace for 15 goals. Penalty killer, 15. too. Great penalty killer. A phenomenal penalty killer. What more could you possibly want? On the And there's no no-move clause. I just double-checked that. Okay. And, so and I mean, even if there was, it didn't matter. Let's be real. Right. You can move 800K. Yeah. I mean, think about this, too. You know, and look, the contract is what it is, but... You've got a player now in Barkley Goodrow who is going to be out there towards the end of games to help close him out. But now you've got a guy like Jimmy Vesey too, $800,000 a year, uh, who can, who is a probably, you know, at least by the numbers, a better defensive player than Goodrow. Um, and that, look, I know Goodrow plays center and he's more of a Swiss army knife for this team. And I'm, you know, I know some people and have been problem great. with that. I, yeah, he's I don't want to see him in the top six, but I think he's I, I, I'm i happy yeah. plugging him anywhere in the bottom six. I don't, you know, ideally on the fourth line. But if he's got to step in and play some third line, I'm fine with that, too. He's on pace again to break all of his career highs that he set last year. Right. No, he's been much more off. He's provided much more offensive yeah. value for the Rangers than he has for any of his, uh, you know, his other his previous teams. He's, um, this, he's Michael Grabner, except everybody uh, liked Grabner. Right. Yeah. Uh, but but, you know, I mean, you know, VZ is just another, you know, the Rangers now are, are are they're developing a little bit of that shutdown element that we, you know, I think became became obvious uh, during the playoffs last year that that's what they didn't have. Right. That they, um, you know, they were playing teams, all three teams that they played in the playoffs, Pittsburgh, Carolina, Tampa had legitimate shutdown lines. Now, um, the Rangers beat two of those teams, but it was tough sledding the whole time. And it, it, you know, it caused them to have to go through brutal seven game series rather than, you know, 
win in five and move on and preserve some energy for the the real battles in the semis and the finals. Um, and I think we identified in our postseason kind of you know postmortem podcasts that that they just the Rangers didn't have that they didn't have a shutdown element to this team. All of a sudden, you know, Jimmy Vesey is here. Um, you know, I, I think uh, you know Barkley Goodrow is going to be part of that of that uh, solution. Potentially, Vincent Trocheck is part of that uh, solution, at least with his ability to win faceoffs. Um, so, so yeah, it's a it's it's a really nice signing, and I think you know hard to argue with the logic and the dollar value that 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 both parties landed on. And I think you know VZ definitely left money on the table and traded that for a little bit of stability because he's been now bounced around the league to to quite a few teams yep. uh, since he left the Rangers. And you actually just brought something up that piqued my interest with shutdown lines, VZ, Goodrow. VZ, Goodrow, Trocek as a threesome on the ice to close out a game is a bitch to play against. Yes. That would be a really good. Yep. I can see Gallant in the need to defend a lead, say, with, I don't know, 35, 40 seconds left in a playoff game, sending that trio out there. Yep. Yeah, I agree with right. Uh, and probably with, uh, you know, maybe Truba and Lindgren, right? I mean, you know, if he wants to go uh, pure defense. Uh, yeah. Least, you know, I know Truba is not considered a shutdown defenseman, but I think that's how Gallant views him. Um, you know, so, yeah, and that might be a fivesome you'd see on the ice uh, in, in, a, in a late crunch time scenario. Uh, and I'm sure that's those are also the types of things, Dave, that we're going to see down the stretch of the season here. You know. I think now that Gallant has established his kind of, you know, core uh, lineup and, and, you know, pending any uh, notwithstanding any trade deadline acquisitions, of course. But, um, you know, I I think you're now going to start to see him tinker with the situational stuff. Right. Who do we how how do we mix and match when we're chasing a goal late in the game? You know, do we shorten the bench? How do we mix and match at the end of the game when we're protecting a lead? So those will certainly be things to watch for as the uh, as the season progresses here. all right, I want to get to the questions because there are a few. We did uh, we did put word out uh, a little bit late, so uh, maybe not as many as we usually get, but thanks to everybody who submitted as usual. First one is from Bill to Spill, uh, and it's a two-part question, so we'll start with the first one. What are your go-to Duncan orders? <laughs> it's definitely not – so I have two issues with Jimmy Vesey. One, his Duncan <laughs> order, and two – he clearly benefits from the Paul Rudd anti-aging serum, and he has yet to tell us where it is. It's really, really upsetting. He hasn't aged a, a day since he, he came into He the still looks like he's 11 years old. Yes. But back uh, to the question. What's your go-to Dunkin' order, though? Yeah. Um, cold brew black. And I will usually get egg and cheese on an English muffin, and because I have the biggest sweet tooth ever a chocolate donut. That's pretty good order. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with cold brew. I usually do uh, a little bit of milk and, and like one sugar in there. So I don't like it too sweet, but a little bit of milk and sugar. Um, and the cold brew is really good there. I think the regular coffee is a little weak and watery. I think we all, we could all agree on that. Although I'm sure some people like it, but, uh, cold brew is definitely really good. Um, all right. And the second part of the question is, regarding Jimmy Vesey, does, does his extension increase the odds even slightly that they find a way to move on from Goodrow this summer? Uh, and Bill to spill says, I want that cap space back. Uh, so Dave, what, you know, is there, is there a, a chance that they see VZ as a, essentially as a, as a Goodrow replacement? I mean, it's always possible. I'm not going to say no, but Goodrow is with the Rangers for better or for worse for the for this year and the two seasons after. So when VC's contract is up, that's when I think Goodrow moves on. Um, he only has a limited no trade, but if you just look at the structure of the contract, he's got a three point six million dollar cap hit, but next year he makes five point one million, and the year after he makes five million. Very few teams are willing to take the cap hit with more actual money out the door. The teams that you're moving him to, they're not going to want that. Right. 
Yes. And also the 24-25 season really is when the window with this current core is up. You got one yep. more year of an aging Panarin. Zabanajad's going to be here forever. You got one more year of a of Kreider who's going to be 34, 35. Trocheck's contract, I think that's when you can move Trocheck as well after 24, 25. Yeah, after you pay his $3 million signing bonus July 1, 2025, he's easily moved. That's when it turns into a modified no trade clause. Truba's up at that point or one year left, and he's easily moved as well, even though he's the captain. It's a modified no-trade clause, less salary than cap hit. That's the year that you'd see them transition to Lafreniere, Kako, Miller, Fox as the leadership core. Heedle, mm-hmm. hopefully, too. And and at that point, you'll have Othman will have been in the league a couple of years, potentially Sakura, yep. you know, and some of the other draft picks, you know, uh, some of the guys that have performed really well at, at World Juniors, Vassiainen, uh, I don't know how you say his name, and Chemilar from uh, from Czechia. So I'm not going to try to pronounce those guys. Yeah, names. I know. <laughs> I, I, definitely butchering them. But no, they, you know, look, the pipeline is still strong. The Rangers still have two first round draft picks. Whether or not they use one or two of those uh, for for the this year's this spring or summer's upcoming draft, whether they use one or two of those uh, in the at the upcoming deadline remains to be seen. But no, I think you know we we've talked about this. We know that there is a decision point coming. With this current core. Um, and uh, and and I think they, they are going to have, you know, the next two full seasons, this plus the next two full seasons after that to try and make, a, you know, a proper run, a couple of proper runs at, at a championship. While, while all those players are in their prime and while the young wave behind them enters their prime. So I think there is a method to the madness with Drury. I think also, you know, rightly or wrongly, the Rangers are probably banking a little bit on the cap going up. Uh, and, and it probably will go up sometime within the next three years. But, you know, certainly that significant raise is not coming this year. We're looking at probably, a, you know, a million or a million and a half dollars added on. So um, it will be a tight off season. But I also, you know, again, I look at these things and I am not filled with the sense of panic and dread that everybody else is off. And I, I think they'll figure it out. Um, there's no know. panic. There's definitely maneuverability, but there's no panic. Yeah. Anybody panicking is short sighted. Yep. Um, Sorry, I cut you off. I heard no, the word no, panic. I think, yeah, no, I, you know, to be honest, um, I, I think I agree with you in the sense that Kudrow is not going anywhere. And look, the contract is what it is. Uh, it does. It, I, I don't see the I, I don't have, as I just said, I don't have the, the, the panic that everybody else has. Um, and, and I think everybody will they'll be able to field a, a very good team next year, even needing to resign Laugh, Miller, Heedle, et cetera. Um, OK, Connell, uh, Coach Connell on Twitter just dropped in to say, if you don't drink your coffee black, you don't actually like coffee. He's right. So, well, yeah, I don't listen. even start. He is right. <laughs> I have. Here's what I'll say. I have three different mechanisms by which I can make coffee. I have a traditional coffee pot. I have a French press. I also got a Chemex as a Christmas present. Thank you, Becky. Wonderful gift. Have used it a bunch since I got it. What is so? A I certainly appreciate. What'd you say? What is a Chemex? Look it up. C-H-E-M-E-X. It is a uh, it is a it's was invented in the 1940s. Um, it is a very um, basic. Oh, it's basically shaped like a like a beaker. It's a it's a glass. Uh, it's yeah. a glass pour over coffee, uh, you know, coffee pot, essentially. Uh, and it has its own filters and the combination of the shape of the glass with the filters filtration system. um and the way you sort of pour the water over the grinds, you get a very clean, there's almost no residuals in the coffee. There's like no grit or grinds like you'd get with a French press or some coffee pots. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's fantastic. And look, I put a little bit of something in my coffee. I do like a little, it's not even a full packet or teaspoon of sugar. It's a little drop a half and half. I just like a little bit of something to take, a little bit of the edge off it, but I love a full body 
beautifully brewed or made cup of coffee. So don't give me this bullshit about if you don't like it black, you don't like it. I love coffee and I respect and I make it in a way that shows respect for the drink. So there is one caveat to my thing. I still to this day, it doesn't matter what the weather is. It could be negative 30 degrees outside. My coffee must be iced. I cannot drink I hot think, coffee. I think uh, Connell would give you more shit for that than he would for, to me for putting uh, a little bit of sugar in my coffee. Hot coffee is just not – I don't like hot drinks in general. And it's not about using ice to water it down. I drink. I don't drink scotch neat. I drink scotch with ice. It has nothing to do with needing to water it down. It's actually annoying that I have to water – that it winds up watering it down, both the coffee and the scotch. It's just I like it cold it's all it is i just want cold drinks hot drinks serve no purpose to me uh, yeah well also i think if some scotch drinkers will tell you i don't know if this is true i mean you know you could probably uh shed some light on this apparently and i you know an ice cube in in scotch or whiskey will open it up a little bit too i think it's certain you know, scotches yeah certain, certain scotches. scotches okay okay got it you're getting a few more a few more notes and flavors in there with a little bit of ice uh, okay, we got one more. Uh, this one comes from Chris Saletti, familiar name, on oh, Twitter. Oh, look at that. Yep. <laughs> uh, and he is asking, now this is a great question, and we might have to do a little snap research here. I certainly haven't looked at too many trade deadline primers yet. Give me three potential veteran D-men the Rangers can or should target at the deadline. So I think, you know, and this is something we'll get into in future shows for sure, Dave, but it's starting to come into focus, right? What the Rangers targets are going to be at the trade deadline. Um, probably not going to go in the, uh, you know, in the, the Patrick Kane direction or potentially even in the top six forward direction, given their uh, plethora of options. And if the kids continue to progress, they may be looking more for a depth option or a bottom six option. I'll Tyler Mott. The names have been brought up incredibly. Um, and and a six and a six defenseman. I think. Look, Ben Harper has actually stepped in and played okay. Um, him and Schneider have been fine, and I think, frankly, uh, Harper's good results have been a result of Braden Schneider playing really, really well the last couple of months. But we I, all know I ben wouldn't Harper. call his results good. I'd call him better than Hayek. Yeah, they've been. He's been steady, and I think he's been fine. I think is the is the is the way to put it. Um, but I think the point is, is that we know that Ben Harper is not the answer. So let's talk about what who what a sixth defenseman could or should look like for this team. First of all, left-handed. I, th- I don't think the Rangers uh, are going to want to do the Justin Braun thing again, even though he performed admirably and capably as a right-handed defenseman playing the left side. He had done it earlier in his career in, in spots. It was fine. But... I think they want to target a lefty. I think they want to target somebody who has some experience and they want to target somebody who is a steady presence that they can pair with a young defenseman like Schneider. So do you have any names for Chris? Do you have any names for uh, that come to mind? You know, again, I, you know, I probably want to do a little Googling myself here in the background, but you know, a few names that the Rangers might be want to, might want to look at at the deadline. Well, I got three for you and a bonus tidbit for Mr. Chris Saletti to, uh, you know, read the site every now and then because <laughs> I just wrote a post December 22nd about five veteran trade options on the blue line for depth defensemen. Fantastic. And I'm actually I'm going to cherry pick off of that. The Rangers have been noted as scouting the Canucks. They're not scouting Bo Horvat. They're not scouting Brock Besser. They are known entities. They are scouting Luke Shen. That is defenseman number one, whom I do not like. I don't think Luke Shen is the proper answer. He is. Ben Harper has better numbers. We'll go with that. Okay. And I can't believe those words just came out of my mouth. But you'd rather ben have Har- Ben Harper based on the numbers. <laughs> I'd rather have Ben Harper over Luke Shen. I can't believe those words coming out of my mouth. That's terrifying. The second is Justin Braun. I like Justin Braun. I don't think they're going to go this route again, but it's kind of funny how Braun is kind of Braun is to the Flyers what Keith Kachuk was to the Atlanta Thrashers way back when, when Kachuk would resign was I think it was the Thrashers when Kachuk would sign with the Thrashers, and then at the deadline go somewhere for a cup chance. 
and then re-sign with the Thrashers, and then at the next deadline, go somewhere else for a cup <laughs> chance. I think they did this like three, four years in a row. But Justin Braun is steady, low event, left-handed. It's what the Rangers want on that third pair. And the third is the more realistic one, Ali Mata, who apparently has two T's in his name, not one. So I actually butchered it in this post. But Ali Mata is low event, steady, veteran presence. That's what Gallant wants on his third pair. Somebody that's not going to ruffle feathers, but it's just going to be good in his own end, in the neutral zone. And yeah, can chip in offensively here and there. Ali Mata is that guy, and I'm going to assume that's who the Rangers target at the deadline. Although trading with Steve Eiserman still terrifies me. Cost to acquire? What would the cost to acquire be? Uh, if you want to, if you if you think it's Ali Mata, you know, what do you think it costs to get him, and what is what is his contract situation? Just I know you know it doesn't oh, really that, matter, yeah. but. Yeah, they're all uh, pending UFAs. The Rangers aren't going to go um, with anybody who's got another year left. So all these guys are pending UFAs. They all Mod is the most expensive uh, shade over two million. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Mata is a sexy name that teams will like. And I think he winds up getting a second round pick, possibly an additional mid rounder should a team need to retain salary. Mm hmm. So like a Braun's second and a fourth, get a, something like that. Yeah, second, fourth, second, fifth. Um, Braun's your typical third-round pick. I think Luke Shen is about the same. There are other guys that I like from Vancouver, like Kyle Burrows is somebody that I like from Vancouver, but he's there's a reason why he has never played a full season. Jake Wallman, is, there's a reason why he's never played a full season. These aren't mm-hmm. guys that the Rangers are going to target. Right. I think it's yeah. the motto of Luke Shen kind of a guy. Right. And it's somebody with experience, right? It's somebody. And, yeah. and look, as much as this sort of thing, we, we laugh at it, and maybe rightfully so. Oli Mata's won a couple of Stanley Cups, right? I think he was on those back-to-back Pittsburgh teams. So He was. That is he's certainly a former first-round pick. Yep. Yeah, that, and that's something that, especially a guy like Chris Drury, when he constructs a team, you know that that's on his mind. And it's part of the equation. He's not going to only go after guys who have ever won Stanley Cups because that's just not a realistic way to build a hockey team. But I think given the choice between, okay, I can give up maybe slightly less, but I'm not getting the guy with the pedigree, but I'll give up maybe slightly more. And he comes in and he's a he's a veteran presence and he's got a couple of cup rings and we're bringing him in for a playoff run, you know, that probably factors into the decision, I think. So, um, cool. Well, there's there's a couple, and there's three names, and potentially four. I mean, Burroughs is, is the other name that from Vancouver, Dave, because I did read the piece, and <laughs> uh, I did remember there was somebody else from Vancouver. So Burroughs, I think you said, has better numbers um, and is the guy you'd probably rather go after, but, but in all likelihood, if you're trading with Vancouver, it's probably going to be Shen. Yeah. I really hope the Rangers don't go the Shen route. Yeah, he's a name too. That's the other thing. He's you know the Shen name is is a known quantity in hockey, yeah. but as you said, he's his on ice performance is not uh not not very pretty. Yeah, his numbers are far worse than Harper. And on Harper, it's clear he's played his way ahead of Hayek. Um, yeah. Hayek's bad. Hayek's just bad. Um, yeah, and he's probably done now, right? Because if, if yeah, not only done. are you talking about, you know, bringing in uh, somebody to replace Harper, that would mean Harper slots into the seventh defenseman spot, yes. right? And, and he's shown that he can be that. So that's you know, what fine. you want from him. Right. It's not about Harper. It's about upgrading the depth and making sure one injury doesn't put Hayek in the lineup. Exactly. And you, you can live with one injury and Harper coming into the lineup. And and look, think about last year, right? Ryan Lindgren got hurt. He missed a couple of games and he obviously gutted through some pretty serious uh, injuries uh, to finish the playoffs last year. But you just use that as an example. If Ryan Lindgren were to get hurt again, you, fine, you insert Ben Harper in the lineup and you move a guy like Ole Mata up to play with Adam Fox. And all of a sudden, you know, Fox playing with a guy like Ole Mata, who's veteran savvy and, um, you know, can definitely step in and play that type of role if he's asked to. Um, that's a far cry from 
having to move Ben Harper up the lineup and then insert Libor Hayek and have him play with Braden Schneider. That would be a disaster all around. So, yeah. um, and it would probably, you know, completely destroy, but, you know, Adam Fox and Keandre Miller and Jacob Truba because they would get, you know, pretty much all of the ice time. Um, so no, that's a, that's a great point. And, and that's really what this is about. I think, you know, again, Harper, um, I've been pleasantly surprised. I know he has not been good or actually good, but he's been fine. He's been serviceable, I think is, is a good way to describe it. And I think it also shows how, how, how awesome Braden Schneider has, you know, is, uh, at this point in his career that he's been able to frankly carry Harper around and still be effective, you know, put up some points, be good defensively. And, you know, the Rangers have not been getting hurt with that third pair on the ice very much at all. Oh. So kudos to both of those guys. Niels who? <laughs> now you're really going. Now you're really trying to get, oh, yeah. get people. I'm uh, having a lot of fun with this. Up. I'm having uh, a lot of fun with this because I, oh, God, the, the outrage over the Lundquist trade was humorous to me. But, yeah, yes. I'm just I'm just being a dick right now. So. <laughs> uh, all right. So any final thoughts heading into the weekend here, Dave, again, Rangers in Montreal on Thursday at New Jersey, Saturday afternoon. That's a 1 p.m. game. Should be interesting over at the Rock in Newark. Um, any thoughts going into those two games? Well, you got to beat Montreal. Like that's a gimme two points. You beat Montreal, you beat New Jersey. All of a sudden, you're what second place in the Metro. Yep. yep. And, and you're probably within striking distance of Carolina. You know, with half you the are with play, you're probably yep. five six points out. Uh, that was also the first game the Rangers played against Carolina. They got two more. At least no, I think three. I think they played them three? four times this year. Yeah. So they got. You know, they already took one. You take two of the next three against them. You're gaining. Those are four-point swing games. Mm -hmm. You know, timely wins are the way you catch up to Carolina. I think the Rangers can win the division. It's just exceedingly difficult given the third point. Right, of course. But Uh, it doesn't matter because, you know, I still have them winning the cup this year. So that's just me. (laughs) Just get in, right? Just get in and make your run. Um, yeah, last in. last thought for me on the Montreal game. That is a huge, huge, huge definition of a trap game. Montreal has been awful. Oh, yeah. They've given up. I think they said it at the end of the postgame show on Tuesday night on MSG. They've given up something like six goals in their two games ago and then nine goals another game recently. They're basically leaking goals at, a, at, at an historic rate currently. They score a lot, but they also give up a lot. So, you know, you don't want to get into a back and forth, you know, track meet type game with that team in Montreal. And all of a sudden, you know, you're down six to five with three minutes left in the third period. Um, you know, take care of business, play a mature business like game, convert on your power plays and get out of there. Like you said, Dave, with a with a solid two points and then big, big game to mark the halfway point of the season on Saturday in New Jersey. So we're looking forward to that. We're looking forward to talking about it all next week. Looking forward to having Becky back, who is still a bit under the weather. Um, And we look forward to more questions and uh, thoughts from you, the audience. So as always, thanks for listening and we'll talk to you next week.